Thanks for tuning in with us here at City Church Garland for our Life Matters series in the book of Ecclesiastes. This is Pastor Keith. May God fill you with wisdom as you listen in to his words from the preacher. Is everybody doing all right after an emotional week of elections? Uh, As I said last week in the sermon on Ecclesiastes 7, um, that... You know, there's going to be many who are grieving and mourning and, uh, on one side or the other, depending on the, what political side you fall on. Uh, and that's true. We're, we're seeing some of that uh, within the country. And as we said last week, wisdom teaches us to mourn, and it teaches us to accept loss when we feel loss in our lives. Uh, sometimes those are the biggest lessons that God uh, works through to teach us Uh, important things about wisdom. Um, We're going to continue on uh, our series in the book of Ecclesiastes, digging into this, um, the lessons of wisdom. We looked at Ecclesiastes 7 last week, and there were seven things that we identified in Ecclesiastes 7 of lessons and benefits that wisdom brings to us. This week, there's eight, since we're in Ecclesiastes 8, uh, we're going to look at eight Things, eight lessons or benefits that uh, Ecclesiastes or that wisdom teaches us, that wisdom gives us. Um, kids, look up here at me for a second. Uh, wisdom is an important thing that your mom and dad want you to have so that you can do well in life. Wisdom is an important thing. One of the prayers that Kendall and I, my wife and I, have prayed over our children is Luke 2.52, where it speaks of Jesus. As a child, he grew in wisdom and stature, and he found favor with God and man. Wisdom is really important for you to get. And, And this book that we're looking at, the book of Ecclesiastes, is filled with wisdom. It teaches us lessons on life and how to live life well here under the sun. It teaches us to have a a good, healthy perspective of life, and it teaches us skill to go through life well. Children, if you get wisdom and you heed wisdom early on, you can save yourself from a lot of unnecessary pain in life if you'll do so. Okay, um, there's there's great benefits to wisdom. We I've likened wisdom to be like driving a vehicle. Wisdom is like driving a vehicle, and when you're driving a vehicle, you have to follow the rules. You have to make sound judgments. Okay, uh, you you have to you have to make decisions that are good in the moment. Um, I was talking to one of our one of our um, one of the brothers here at City Church who's uh, raised five children, and he was, he was telling me, Wilson, he was telling me his approach to training his kids to drive uh, was a commitment that his children would get 50 hours, 50 hours of driving with the permit before they actually got behind the wheel without dad. And so he trained them as, as, a, as a wise father looking out for his children, he trained them with 50 hours of driving so that they would do well uh, when they get out there by, by themselves. 
because there are too many young people who have made poor, foolish decisions with driving. Just this week, my, my wife's friend, from some friends from college, um, w- was hit. Two godly believers, godly Christians, were hit by uh, some racers, uh, some young uh, people racing down the road in Fort Worth, and this family was killed. And they left behind four children. Um, when I was 13 years old, I had a, a 10-year-old brother who was hit by a car from two teenage racers racing down the road in Arlington, going way too fast when they shouldn't have been going way as fast as they were. And, and this guy hit and killed my brother. And my mom was hurt and bitter. And she felt like there was just injustice, that the city didn't do enough to punish uh, this young man who got probation for 45 days for manslaughter after killing my younger brother. It felt like a great injustice to my mother. And it was a deep wound and a pain to me. But I myself, in driving, I myself have made foolish decisions in driving. I started driving before uh, I got my license. When I was 11 years old, I made a foolish decision to try to take my mother's vehicle out for a joyride when she was asleep. I was 11 years old, and I tried to sneak out with her Ford Bronco, Ford Bronco 2. And those got recalled because they flip real easy. Yeah, they're kind of high off and skinny, and, you know, they're, they're real easy to wreck when you're driving too fast and you make a turn. And thankfully, I didn't get out of the parking lot because I didn't have enough skill to get out of the parking lot with my mother's Ford Bronco. Wisdom... Applying wisdom in our lives is like driving and driving well. It's the art and the skill of of living well under God's authority. And we're going to look at some lessons here in the book of Ecclesiastes that teach us about wisdom and how to live well. And I think some of these lessons here are very applicable, as you'll see. Uh, Go ahead and turn to Ecclesiastes 5, starting in verse 1. And I'm going to read from the New Living Translation because I think it will save us some time and save me from having to explain more than necessary here. Ecclesiastes 8.1 says, How wonderful to be wise, to analyze and interpret things. Wisdom lights up a person's face, softening its harshness. Obey the king since you vowed to God that you would. Do not try to avoid your duty. And do not stand, and don't stand with those who plot evil. For the king can do whatever he wants. His command is backed by great power. No one can resist or question it. Those who obey him will not be punished. Those who are wise will find a time and a way to do what is right. For there is a time and a way for everything, even when a person is in trouble. Indeed, how can people avoid what they don't know what is going to happen? None of us can hold back our spirit from departing. None of us has the power to prevent the day of death. There's no escaping that obligation, that dark battle. And in the face of death, wickedness will certainly not rescue the wicked. I have thought deeply about all that goes on here under the sun where people have the power to hurt each other. I have seen wicked people buried with honor, and yet they were the very ones who were frequented the temple and are now praised in the same city where they committed their crimes. 
this too is meaningless. And when a crime is not punished quickly, people feel it's safe to do wrong. But even though a person sins a hundred times and still lives a long time, I know that those who fear God will be better off. The wicked will not prosper, for they do not fear God. Their days will never grow like the evening shadows. Alright, so here's our big idea this morning. It's very simple, similar to last week. Wisdom teaches us to live well under God's authority. Wisdom teaches us to live well under God's authority. Let's, let's first give a definition of wisdom. The Bible's given us a couple books in the Bible to give us wisdom. God is a wise God, an all-wise God. Uh, and He says a lot about wisdom. Okay? And, and the, the Hebrew word for wisdom is chokmah. Everybody say chokmah. Chokmah. Okay? Chokmah is interpreted, translated as wisdom, skill, learning. This can refer to skill in life, trade, war, or spiritual things. Okay? Uh, chokmah was attributed to skillful artists in the Old Testament, those who were good at working with their hands. I got a friend here this morning that's, uh, that's very good at building stuff and working with his hands. He has chokmah when it comes to working with his hands. All right? Uh, and it, it can also refer to the skill of, of in, in life, just doing life well. Wisdom teaches us to live life well. Wisdom is the skill and the art of living with each facet of life under God's authority. And we all need that. We all need that. I used to volunteer in the juvenile correction center every Sunday night for about five or six years. And I would go and, and share my testimony and share the gospel with young people who had run-ins with authority, with parents, with teachers, with police officers, probation officers. And one of the common themes that I saw with these young people who were in so much trouble was, was their, their improper and unwise response to authority. And oftentimes they were hurt by authorities and there was a lot of baggage that came along with authority. But there was this improper response to authority and so it, it caused more pain and trouble to their lives. And see, wisdom teaches us to respond, respond properly to authority. Wisdom is like driving, like I said. It teaches us to live well in this life. It teaches us uh, to drive or live well. When, when, to drive or live well. To drive well, you need sound judgment, attentiveness, and you need to follow the rules. Okay, you need sound judgment, attentiveness, and you need to follow the rules. Now, it's not enough to just know the rules. Like you go in, you know the book, you know all the laws of driving in Texas. You know when to stop and how fast to go, and you know when to put on your blinker. You know all those things. That's great, but you need sound judgment too. Because when you get out there on the road, you're going to have to make a decision with how far that car is there in front of you that's about to turn in front of you, when to put on the brake or when to step on the gas. You need sound judgment and skill to manage well so you don't get in a car crash. So you don't wreck, wreck the car. And you need attentiveness, which our phones don't help us. Right, Texting and driving or looking stuff up on our phone and driving is the cause of many crashes, and that's illegal. Right, We're not supposed to do that, so we need attentiveness. And, and to drive well, we need to follow the rules, and we need sound judgment, and that's what we need to do well in life. Okay? And there's, there's, some, there's some signals that in, in, our, in our vehicles, there's some signals on the dashboard that help us out when there's some issues. 
right? Uh, the check engine light, the uh, oil light, and, and other lights that come on. And Ellie was sharing a testimony about emotions and her being growing in a healthy place in regards to emotions. I've likened our emotions to be like those dashboard lights that we have that go off. That they're there to give us an indicator that something needs attention underneath the hood. And we can ignore, we can ignore that check engine light and ignore the, the check the oil light. Uh, and, and keep driving until the car just falls apart and breaks down. Or we can slow down and, and take a look at what's going on under the hood. Now, the book of Ecclesiastes has explored some of these emotions we're talking about last week. It was sorrow. He said, he said that sorrow, in chapter 7, sorrow is better than laughter, for by a sad countenance the heart is made glad. So, so wisdom teaches us to mourn and it teaches us not to try to escape sorrow when we feel it, when we're living in the midst of a broken world with broken people and we experience pain and it hurts. Wisdom teaches us not to just mask it and act like everything's okay when it's not okay in our lives. It teaches us to face those realities, to, to mourn when we need to mourn, to rejoice when it's time to rejoice. And, and, and so when we see those check engine lights come up, when we're angry, and we don't know why we're angry, but we're just mad. There's a lot of people mad right now about the elections. Okay? There's a lot of people happy right now about the elections. Okay? So, so those dashboard lights are indicators of what's going on under the hood. They're important to learn from and, 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 and try to understand yourself and why am I responding the way that I do, either in a healthy way or an unhealthy way. God longs for us to be healed and whole in these areas. And by the way, let me just say this. If your peace and joy is tied to who's in the White House, okay? If your peace and joy is tied to who's in the White House rather than who is on the throne of the universe, then it's misplaced. Our joy should be grounded and rooted in the fact that Jesus is king. That's the kingdom of God. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit, as we looked at a few weeks ago with our guest speaker, Robert Reed. Jesus is king. And so we rejoice in that reality regardless, when we, regardless if we have leaders that we like or we don't like. Jesus is king, and that brings us peace, and that brings us joy when things are going well and when things aren't going so well. Okay, so let's look at the first point. Here's the first point. Wisdom makes a person shine. How wonderful to be wise, to analyze and interpret things. Wisdom lights up a person's face, softening its harshness. Wisdom makes a person shine. Now, I don't know if this, this guy on this picture I grabbed is, is a wise person or not, but he has a bright countenance, and so I just put it up there. Because when you got wisdom, it changes you. you, you it changes the way you look because of your perspective is changed and how you see life. And how you deal with the situations and relationships within life changes when you have wisdom. But when you're, fool, when you're a foolish person, as we looked at last week, anger resides, marks you out as a fool. Right? When you let anger just consume your life and resonate in you, undealt with and checked anger is described, a foolish man is described as that. But wisdom... Wisdom brings joy to a person's life. 
It brings this glow to a person's life. And again, it doesn't mean that we neglect the sorrow and the painful things in life, as we looked at last week, because there's a time to mourn. There's a time to weep. There's there's a time to let your faith uh, express you're sad because you really are. But it's actually through handling that sadness in a healthy way that, that we experience the refining that we need and we work through the grief in a healthy way so that we can experience true joy instead of having a very surface joy or happiness that doesn't go very deep. So wisdom makes a person's face shine. Theologian Michael Eaton says this, The shining face generally speaks of favor. Here it speaks of the wise man who, who is visibly gracious in his demeanor, whose gentleness is obvious in his facial expression. Daniel 12.3 says that those who are wise shall, 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 shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. So wisdom makes a person shine. Are you shining today? Okay, it doesn't mean you don't have a bad day. It doesn't mean you don't grieve and you don't experience sorrow in this life. But generally speaking, we should have a glow about our lives when we're walking in wisdom. Amen. The next thing is that wisdom teaches us to be submissive to authority. And ooh, how relevant this is right now. Ooh, this is a word for us to hear, regardless if you're on the left or the right politically. Okay? This is, this is a word that wisdom teaches us if we're going to live life well, and in the New Testament, if we're going to be good representatives of Christ, followers of Christ. This is what Christians do. They have this posture of submission and respect in honoring those who are in authority because we know that all authority comes from God. And regardless of, of, of authorities that we like or don't like, ultimately God is still in charge. And He's still on His throne, as we talked about last week in Ecclesiastes 7.14. God's sovereign. God's sovereign, and so when you have times of prosperity and you have times of adversity, Ecclesiastes says, consider that, that God brings both of those into our lives. He's in charge, okay? And so we should be at rest in that, and that should motivate us when we have a robust view of God's authority, God's sovereignty over all creation. That enables and fuels us to have a posture of submission towards other God-given authorities that He's placed within our lives. Now, this starts with parents. This starts with with us responding to the parents that God has given us, the authority figures that God has given us in our lives, and teachers, and police officers, and presidents, and and government officials. Verse 2 says, Obey the king since you vowed to God that you would. Do not try to avoid your duty. And don't stand with those who plot evil. The king can do whatever he wants. His command is backed with great power. No one can resist or question it. Those who obey him will not be punished. And those who are wise find a time and a way to do what is right. Okay, so so we, generally speaking, we are to have a posture of submission and respect towards authority. Now, does this mean that our submission and obedience to authority is blind and unconditional? Certainly not. Certainly not. If, if, if our authorities 
are telling us to do something that is clearly against what God has said don't do, then we have an obligation to obey God rather than man. Daniel is an example and his friends in the Bible. Daniel was an example of not only of a person whose face was shining because of wisdom and his relationship with God, but he was an example of a person who stood firm on his convictions when the governing powers were trying to get him to do things that he knew was wrong. In Daniel 1, 8, it says that Daniel resolved in his heart not to defile himself with the king's delicacies. You see, a good Jewish boy uh, knew that there's certain things that they weren't supposed to eat as Jews. There was dietary laws that the Jews followed. And so Daniel didn't indulge, and so he made an appeal in a respectful way. Hey, can I just, can I try some fruits and vegetables for a while, and we'll just see how I look after that, you know? And it worked out. He looked great after that. God was favorable. God gave him favor with the authorities in that way. And, and, and God uh, promoted Daniel, and God worked through Daniel. He, God had given Daniel the ability to interpret dreams and visions, kind of like Joseph. There was this favor and this wisdom that he was walking in and God was blessing him and opening up doors for him as he was submissive to authority. Now he could have had a bad attitude about it and he could have responded disrespectfully and he, he could have got his head chopped off very easily. And that's what fools do. They just, they just buck and rebel and, 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 and they don't know how to, to, to posture themselves in humble submission to God-given authority. Now, there was a time when later on in the book of Daniel when, when Daniel was, uh, when it was the law of the land not to pray or worship any other gods, and Daniel wasn't going to follow that instruction. He continued his devotional life praying three times a day. And he got in trouble for it. Kids, what happened to him? He got put into the lion's den. That's right. I don't know if they had pizza in those days, but, uh, he did get put into the lion's den, and God was with him, and God delivered him. God showed up on his behalf. Uh, Peter and John in the New Testament, when they were told not to speak about Jesus, their response was, is it right for us to obey God or man? So there's a time. There's a time when we don't do exactly what the governing authorities say of the, of the land tell us to do. And, and we must be willing also to pay the consequence that comes along with that, even if it be death. Proverbs 21, 20, 21 through 22 says, My son, fear the Lord and the king. Do not join with those who do otherwise. For disaster will arise suddenly for them. And who knows the ruin that will come from, both, from, from them both. Okay, so wisdom teaches us to be submissive to authority. Uh, Romans 13 is a great New Testament passage to, to study if you want to uh, deepen your studies on that from a New Testament perspective. Those who resist authority bring judgment on themselves, Paul says. The next thing is that wisdom teaches us the proper time, the proper way and time to act. Wisdom teaches us the proper way and time to act. Those who obey will not be, those who obey will not be punished. Those who are wise, I love this, those who are wise will find a time and a way to do what is right. For there is a time and a way for everything, even when a person is in trouble. You know, sometimes we get put in really difficult positions as Christians. 
We get put in really challenging positions where it's not super clear, what do I do in this situation? Okay, where the Bible doesn't give us clear, explicit instructions. This is what you do when this happens within your government or this happens within your relationships or within your job. Okay, but there are guiding wisdom principles that will help us navigate through those real challenging times. And the Holy Spirit is described as the spirit as the spirit of wisdom. The spirit of wisdom. And he leads us into living wise lives. Jesus, our Savior, is the ultimate sage. The ultimate person of wisdom who embodied wisdom and who lived well, wisely. Who honored God and was submissive to the governing authorities, even when they were ungodly authorities. Jesus told Pilate, when Pilate said, don't you know that I have the the power to crucify you? And Jesus said, you, would, you wouldn't have any authority over me at all unless it had been given from above. You see, Jesus honored and he recognized authority. And he submitted to the process of going through prosecution of the most unjust death. The most unjust trial of all human history. Jesus submitted to that process. And in his wisdom, he found the proper way and the proper time to act. He was in tune with that. He lived his life in tune with the Father's will. And he only did what the Father was doing and spoke what the Father was leading him to speak. And so wise people will find a way, that the, a time and a way to do what is right. There's a time for everything as we looked at in Ecclesiastes chapter 3. And wisdom is what's needed for you and I to discern what time it is and to discern the most proper, appropriate way for us to respond to that time. As the sons of Issachar, they were wise and understanding. They, they knew they were able to discern the, the times and, and they were able to discern what it is that Israel was to do within those times that they were living in. And that's what you and I need. In the days ahead, we need wisdom. We need wisdom today to live our lives well under the sun. Wisdom teaches us the proper way and time to act. Wisdom includes the ability to use the best means at the best time to accomplish the best ends. It is not merely a matter of information or knowledge, but of skillful and practical application of the truth to the ordinary facets of life. Wisdom also teaches us to accept our God-ordained limitations. Now many of us don't like this because we like to be in control. We like to know everything, if possible, as much more than anybody else, right? We like to, to know. We like to have the power. We, we like to... Human nature... Tends towards that. Verse 7 says, Indeed, how can people avoid what they don't know is going to happen? None of us can hold back our spirit from departing. None of us has the power to prevent the day of our death. There's no escaping that obligation, the dark battle. And in the face of death, wickedness will certainly not rescue the wicked. You see, in life there are so many things that we are not in control of. And we would do well. We would learn to rest well. And we would learn to enjoy life if we would accept that. 
that if we would have a healthy perspective, that there are many things out of my control. Many times we lose peace and joy because we're fretting about things that aren't even our responsibility. Things that we have no jurisdiction in. Things great, matters too great for us to even understand or, or, or beyond our sphere of authority. Right? And we lose our peace and our joy trying to be sovereign in certain situations. But there is only one sovereign one, and there's not room on his throne for you or me. There's only one all-wise one. And he wants to give us, share with us his wisdom so that we can live well in this life. There's limitations with life circumstances. As we looked at in Ecclesiastes 3, there's different seasons and times of life that we go through. Right? When you first, when you first get married and you have kids and you got young kids in the house, those of you who've gone through that season, you know that you can't go out to eat as much as you used to. Or you can, but it's, it won't be as pleasant when you got a bunch of little ones and it's really hard, right? To, there's certain things that you can't do. Like when you get married, uh, guys, you, you can't go hang out with the homeboys as much as you used to because you got a wife at home that you need to love and care for, right? And so there's seasons of life that God brings us through that we have to learn the proper way to respond. The, the time that we're in, the season that we're in, and the proper way for us to respond to that season. Some of our greatest stresses in life come from our inability to respond well to the season that we are in. To recognize and respond well to where God has brought us in this life. There's a time for everything. Life circumstances, uh, we're, we're confronted with the limitations of death, the inevitability of death. We've already explored this several times in this book. The, the preacher is not done talking about it. As we said last week, that a wise person spends a good amount of time thinking about death. Not in an unhealthy, morbid kind of way. Of, of some gothic teenager drawing dark pictures, wearing dark clothes, and listening to dark music, right? Not in some morbid kind of way, but in a healthy way. We, a wise person thinks about the end, the day that, that we're going to die. And in light of that, it helps us to live well now. We make choices now that are better when we, when we recognize the end and, and the, the brevity of our life and the certainty and inevitability of death. And then uh, we're limited with our capacity to know things. There are just things that we don't know and we can't know because we're not God. We're not all knowing. Right? And so wisdom teaches us to accept our God-ordained limitations. Now let me also say that with God all things are possible, as the New Testament tells us. That, that, that God, uh, God's consider, as he's told us in the book of Ecclesiastes, consider God's work. God's work is so much greater and we would do well to find out what he's doing and, and find out where our work and his work intersect. Accept the way God does things and align our lives with the way God does things. That's what wisdom does. That's, that's what wisdom teaches us to do, is it teaches us to, to go with the grain of God's created order, with God's design for you and I. Derek Kinder, the theologian, says this. He says, at every turn, this chapter will face us with our inability to call the tune and master our affairs. 
on one level after another, we find ourselves pinned down, hunted down, and disoriented. The book of Ecclesiastes gives us a dose of realism that should give us a good dose of humility. Because we're not God. And, and so we should be humbly dependent upon God. God has set it up that way. That we live our lives in trust and faith. Wisdom teaches us to trust in the Lord with all our hearts. And not to lean on our own understanding. Acknowledge Him in all our ways and He will direct our paths. I love the, the serenity prayer. I shared this uh, when we were in Ecclesiastes chapter 3. And this is... This is a helpful prayer that those struggling with addiction and walking through recovery, this is a helpful prayer for those who've tried to control their lives through unhealthy practices, addictions, and rhythms. Uh, God, grant me the serenity to accept the things that I cannot change, the courage to change the things that I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. I think this is the heart of the, the spirit of the preacher in Ecclesiastes, of what he teaches us, the wisdom that he teaches us. Number five, wisdom teaches us that there will be inequity. There will be inequity in life. There will be injustice. There will be unfairness. He's already told us, don't be surprised. Don't be amazed when you see it, because we live in a post-Genesis 3 world. A world that has been corrupted and broken by sin. And each of us have been affected by it. Verse 10 says, I have seen the wicked people buried with honor, yet they are the very ones who frequented the temple and now are praised in the same city where they committed crimes. This too is meaningless. He also calls it grievous. It's painful. It's grievous to think about how is it that Ungodly people who do terrible things still get honor and praise and wealth and, and they sometimes get to live long lives. Like that's perplexing. Like where's the justice in that? Okay? But Ecclesiastes has already told us and he's already emphasized the reality that every person must stand before the Almighty for judgment. Every person must give an account for how they live. That's one of the reasons why our lives do matter. And that's one of the reasons why how we live is not meaningless. Because we will stand before the judge and give an account. Verse 11, when a crime is not punished quickly, people feel it safe to do wrong. Any parents with toddlers running around know that this is true. If you don't address an issue of disobedience, that toddler will continue to inch his way uh, and, and take more and more ground in disobedience the longer you let it go. And this is true certainly and specifically in, in regards to government and, and, those, and criminals who, who do wrong. That, uh, that if it's not punished quickly, if there's not, if there's not swift action, if, if governmental officials are not doing their job to enforce justice and protect the weak then uh, people feel it's safe to just continue doing wrong. Because I'm, I'm, I'm not going to get caught, or I'm not going to get in trouble for it. Number six, you guys doing okay? I'm going to finish before 12 this morning, okay? That's good news. Wisdom teaches us to fear God. 
Wisdom teaches us to fear God. We've already explored this uh, in the book of Ecclesiastes. He's mentioned this more than once. Actually, two overarching themes throughout the book of Ecclesiastes is fear God and enjoy life, which is my next point. Um, but, but here again, he brings up the fear of the Lord. This is what wise people do. And actually, the fear of the Lord is the very beginning of wisdom. It's the foundation. Okay? It says, when a crime is not... Or, let's see. Uh, verse... Uh, latter part of verse 12. I know that those who fear God will be better off. The wicked will not prosper, for they do not fear God. Their days will never grow long like the evening shadows. It's much better to live your life in healthy respect and reverence and awe in the fear of God than to live your life without regard for God, without regard for his authority in your life. It's much better to take life seriously and to take God seriously. Okay? The preacher has already taught us this in the chapter 3 and chapter 5 here again. And at the end of the book, he concludes with this exhortation. Let us hear the conclusion. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is man's all. He will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing. Fear God. So our life does matter. Our life does have meaning because we are to live in relationship with God and have this healthy reverence and awe for who he is. The Bible tells us that by the fear of the Lord, one departs from evil. Godly fear is a healthy motivation for holiness and a healthy motivation for turning away from sin. In the New Testament as well, uh, though, though the New Testament speaks about um, perfect love casting out fear, there's also plenty of other verses that, that still commend and exhort a healthy godly fear that we're to have. And one of the ways that I've distinguished the difference between an unhealthy fear of God and a healthy fear of God is that the unhealthy fear of God cringes and, and, and cowers away from God rather than running to take refuge in God and hoping in his mercy. Okay? Um, John Newton, I think, said it well in his, his hymn, Amazing Grace. "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear." In grace, my fears relieved. Number seven, we're almost there. Wisdom teaches us to enjoy life. Now, here's a positive note. I'm thankful that the preacher, Solomon, here doesn't just give us the negative stuff, the the heavy stuff in the book of Ecclesiastes, because he has told us over and over and over again, enjoy your life. Enjoy what you do have. Don't get so stressed out about things that you are not in control of, but enjoy the simple things of life. In verse uh, 15, he said, So I commended having fun, because there is nothing better for people in this world to eat, to drink, and enjoy life. That way they will experience some happiness along with all the hard work God gives them under the sun. Okay? So we are told in Ecclesiastes to, to see life as a gift. We're, we're told to enjoy the gift of life. God-given life. God-given food. Enjoy your barbecue with the barbecue sauce on it. Your hamburger 
with the mayonnaise and the mustard and the ketchup on it. Enjoy your double dip ice cream from Brahms, your butter pecan, or your, your Rocky Road. And, and go ahead and get you two scoops. Because you're going to die anyways, right? Enjoy it. Enjoy the sweet gifts that God gives us in life. Don't act like you're too spiritual to receive those good things that God gives. God's actually honored when we receive his good gifts and we thank him for them. And we recognize that they come from him. And we enjoy them like a child does receiving a good gift from mom or dad at Christmas time or birthday. Enjoy the gifts that God gives. This is a part of living well. This is what wisdom teaches us. It also teaches us not to let those gifts become excessive and dominate our lives. It teaches us not to, to live our lives in gluttony or, or, or become uh, uh, just so uh, to worship the gifts rather than the giver. Right? We receive the gifts and we thank God for the gifts that he gives of food and friendship and life. Work! God-given work! Okay, work is a good thing in the Bible. Okay? God gave work to mankind before the fall, before Adam and Eve sinned against God and disobeyed God, work was a part of paradise. Okay? Now the problem was that when mankind sinned against God, work became toilsome and difficult and challenging and frustrating. It's hard when you're trying to fix something and you can't fix it. You're trying to match up numbers and you can't match them up. You're trying to work with a person that is not working with anybody. And work just gets hard. Right? Work gets hard. It's frustrating under the sun. But thankfully, God gives us the grace to do it well and to enjoy it. It's a gift. Work is a gift. In chapter 9, he tells us whatever your hands find to do, do it with all your might. You have the ability to work. Work hard. New Testament, we're told to, to work hard as unto the Lord, knowing that from, from Him we will receive our reward for our faithful and diligent labor. So wisdom teaches us to enjoy life. Enjoy life. Uh, chapter 9 says, uh, enjoy your wife, the wife of your youth. Enjoy your spouse. Okay? Enjoy your children as well, parents. Enjoy your friendships. Two are better than one, Ecclesiastes has told us already. Okay? You see, we long for, we long for a place to inhabit with a thing to do and a people to enjoy it with. Okay, that's Eden. And that's what God wants to restore to us. He wants us to experience that. And we can experience a good measure of that here within this life. Lastly, Wisdom teaches us to leave room for mystery. Verse 16 and 17. In my search for wisdom and in, in my observations of people's burdens here on earth, I discovered that there is ceaseless activity day and night. I realized that no one can discover everything God is doing under the sun. Not even the wisest people discover everything, no matter what they claim. You know, even wisdom has its limitations. Even the wisest people don't know everything, and they don't know what's going to happen after. Okay? We can't, we, can't, we can't predict the future. Okay? God can because He sees it. 
He inhabits eternity, and he's not limited by time and space as we are as created beings. He's transcendent. And so we've got to leave room for mystery. This is good for scholars and Bible students and people who want to know everything. This is a great, a great Bible verse for, um, for seminary students and, and scholars. Uh, it's Deuteronomy 29, 29. It says, The secret things belong to the Lord, but the things that are revealed are revealed to us that, that we and our children might do all that is written according to his law. Let me read that. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and our children forever, that we may do the words of the law. Leave room for mystery. There are things about God and about this world that God has chosen not to tell us about. There's meetings and secret count, or meetings that God has and knowledge that He has that we haven't been invited in on. And so we have to trust Him. We have to trust what God is doing, that He's good and that He's sovereign, and that though we don't understand certain aspects of how He deals with us in, in, in situations like Job. I mean, when you read the book of Job, I mean, how many of you have been perplexed by reading the book of Job and just trying to make sense of like, okay, God, you, like you brought him through this? Like you said, hey, what do you think to Satan? What do you think about my servant Job and brought him through all this? Right? That's a perplexing story. Like, and so we wrestle with these mysteries of divine sovereignty and, and how everything works out. But we're given wisdom in how we are to appropriately respond to what comes our way. We don't know everything. We don't know the future, but we know Him who holds the future. And He gives us wisdom and He gives us clarity in how we are to respond to what life does bring us. To what He does bring us through. And He has promised us many good things like He'll never leave us nor forsake us. He's promised us that. And so let me land the plane here so we can end by 12. Three points of application. One is prioritize getting wisdom and applying it to every facet of your life. Prioritize getting wisdom and applying it to every facet of your life. Can you think back to times when you made foolish decisions, when you spoke foolish words, When you thought foolishly and you acted foolishly and you hurt yourself and you hurt others. Okay, save yourself some pain by prioritizing wisdom, applying it uh, to every aspect of your life. One of the ways that we get wisdom is is not only by asking God, the God of all wisdom, He gives it to us freely when we ask Him, but also by asking other wise people for counsel. A wise person surrounds themselves with wise counsel. And there's safety in the multitude of counselors. And you see, a a Christian should have this posture of submission, uh, not only to authority, but, but but to other Christians. That should be our humble posture, and that's how we get wisdom, is by being humble. And by positioning ourselves to listen and to learn what other people are saying, especially wise people, heed wise counsel, especially the counsel that we're given in Scripture. 
And in, when your counselors seem to be, seem to contradict this word, then, then lean on the word. Because this is pure wisdom for us. Avoid being stressed out by the uncertainties of life. Okay, accept your limitations, your God-ordained limitations in this life. And accept the mysteries that, are, that, that God has just chosen to keep as mysteries in this life. And, and don't let it steal your peace and your joy by concerning yourself with things too great for you. Things beyond your sphere of authority or comprehension. And then enjoy the simple gifts of life. Enjoy the simple gifts. Just ponder the, the good gifts that God has given you. Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights. Enjoy those gifts. Live it up. Live for the glory of God. Live to do good to others as much as you can, as long as you can, in every way that you can. Because our life is short. And life is hard here under the sun. And we need each other. And we need the Lord. And we need His wisdom. And we need help when we fall down to get back up and to keep going. And we need healing that comes through relationships with others who know and love us and are committed to walking with us. So don't let yourself get isolated. Let me close in prayer. If you would join me. Heavenly Father, thank you for these words that are a lamp into our feet and a light into our path. And in a dark day, a day when there's division, hatred, turmoil, confusion, uncertainty globally, sickness, and just so many things that are beyond our control. We trust you and we ask for your wisdom. God, keep us from walking in earthly, sensual, demonic wisdom. And give us wisdom from above that's pure, that's peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of good fruits and mercy, without hypocrisy, without partiality. Give us wisdom, your wisdom from heaven. Fill our lives with it and cause our faces to shine because we have it and we practice it. And we pray for our children, that our children would get wisdom. That you would help us to lead them away from foolishness and into the path of wisdom. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you again for tuning in to the City Church Garland podcast in our Life Matters series on the book of Ecclesiastes. We hope that you were encouraged and that God gave you a nugget of wisdom to apply to your life as you navigate through these difficult times. And God bless you.